who was married to a woman named Sarah. Hi. One day, God told Abraham, you will become the father of a great nation. But Sarah could not bear children. And I'm like, old. No problem, God said. Just wait, and I will give you as many children as there are stars in the sky. So Abraham and Sarah waited. And waited. And waited. Join us for the exciting conclusion this week in What's Up on a Marriage. Good morning, Christ Church. Good to be with you all this morning. Good morning to those of you in the upper room and those following along online as well. It's good to be in worship and it's good to be in God's house this morning with you, God's people. So we are deep into a sermon series, Once Upon a Marriage, and uh, we've been tracking through this sermon series with a particular uh, orientation and understanding, a goal in mind, and that is uh, one that is sometimes uh, on the outset makes us feel a little uncomfortable because of uh, what the words suggest, but we have been looking at biblical marriage. We began off by telling you that part of the goal and part of the intent of this is to look at biblical marriage, and that brings with it a lot of backdrop that has a lot of predispositions when you have heard or experienced that word out in culture. And our goal has been to help debunk a lot of what you've heard out in culture and instead to define biblical marriage based on biblical marriages. So we've been looking at biblical marriages to give us a better sense of what we actually mean and what does a biblical marriage actually look like. And the reality is that when we begin to look at these biblical marriages, uh, so far we have found some pretty messy marriages. Fair to say? Pretty messy people with some pretty messy marriages. And so today, I was excited because I'm like, oh, I'm looking at the preaching calendar. I'm like, oh, nice. Pastor Bob set me up well this week. I'm feeling good. He gave me Abraham and Sarah. Oh, Abraham and Sarah. How many of you have heard of Abraham and Sarah before? Okay, fantastic. Abraham and Sarah. Big names in culture, big names in high school history class when you learn that Abraham and Sarah actually are kind of the progenitors of three of the major world religions. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity all tie into Abraham and Sarah. And so I'm thinking, oh, Abraham and Sarah, the idea is that we're going to look at them and see just this mutual faithfulness to God and that we set these people up kind of like heroes of the faith, right? We looked at even the Bible itself will refer back to them from the New Testament, from the time in the life of Jesus, will we'll draw on Abraham and Sarah as examples. And so I'm thinking, oh, this is good stuff. And then I sat down and I read the story of Abraham and Sarah again. Yeah, huh? Get ready for another messy marriage, people. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes our heroes are heroes not so much because they're perfect, but because they are actually imperfect, and we can relate to them. We can understand what it's like to struggle, to suffer, to have trials and challenges. We can relate to our heroes. And that is the case with Abraham and with Sarah. 
You see, the Bible itself will talk about Abraham and Sarah in an interesting way, the way that we first get to know them. As backdrop for you, Abraham and Sarah are a couple living in ancient, uh, would have been the ancient Fertile Crescent area, kind of that Middle East. They would have been on the east side of the Middle East, if you will. They were urbanites. They were living in a town. And then all of a sudden, through some experiences, life began to change. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The Bible begins by describing Abraham and Sarah with one specific line. It introduces their name. It tells, it, it begins talking about Abraham and Sarah, the son. Abraham is the son of Taran. And then all of a sudden you get this line. This is the line that the Bible uses to define and set up the life and struggle of Abraham and Sarah. He's, the Bible says, but Sarah was unable to become pregnant. And she had no children. Sarah was unable to become pregnant, had no children, because they wrestled with infertility. It defined the scope of their life. It's the first thing we learn about them. Isn't it true that in our own lives, so often we allow the struggle to define our lives? We think of ourselves in light of the struggles that we experience. We look at our background, we look at what we've been through, and we think about, more often than not, the trials and the struggles and use that to define our life. Abraham and Sarah are no different. For those of you who are facing currently or have faced infertility in the past, you know the significance of that struggle. You know how big it is. You know how significant, how challenging that specific issue is. And how it truly can change the trajectory of your expectations in life. What you dreamed for yourselves. Those of you who do have children. Who are blessed with the joy and the challenge. The responsibility of parenting. Our hearts break with compassion and empathy for those around us. Who struggle with this struggle. Abraham and Sarah. From the outset. Their lives are defined, and in fact, their story as it goes forward, it turns on the struggle of infertility. What happens in their life is that as they are struggling, living, but struggling with infertility, a supernatural spiritual event happens to Abraham. He's sitting there one day, and all of a sudden, God does what God does. He shows up in people's lives, and he showed up in Abraham's life. He goes to Abraham. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, look, I got big plans for you, man. We're going places. You and me, we are going to literally change the world. Abraham, I have so much in store for you. I have so much in store for your family. I promise to give you land. First and foremost, I'm, I'm setting aside a piece of land for you and for, for your family. This land, it's out west, so pick up your bags, start getting ready. We're going on a field trip, heading out west, Abraham. But there's land there that I'm going to give to you. Second thing, I'm going to give you littles. Land and then littles, little ones, babies, they're coming your way. I know you struggle with this infertility thing, but land, let me tell you, Abraham... I'm actually going to give you a child. I'm going to give you a baby. I'm going to give you a little bundle to hold in your arms and take home from the hospital. It's coming your way. And then to top it all off, I'm going to give you a legacy. 
I'm going to give you a legacy that's going to be so important, so incredible, so impressive that it's going to literally impact the generations to come. You and your family are going to be a blessing to the entire world, Abraham. That's what I got in store for you and Sarah. Sound good? Sounds great. So Abraham picks up, takes Sarah, takes his family, his tribe, those that would have been his servants in his household, maybe as many as 1,000, 1,500 people, and goes through the process as that leader and that steward of that group of leading them out west, being faithful. Time begins to pass. They've picked up. They've moved. But they're looking at the biological clock and saying, all right, we're in the land that we're supposed to be. But the latter two parts haven't come to fruition yet. There's still no baby. And if there ain't no baby, there's no legacy. So God, um, you promised that you would make me a great nation. You said you were going to give me a baby. But still ain't no baby, God. And so often, what happens in our own lives is evidenced in Abraham and Sarah's. That when a struggle is so big and significant, when it begins to define our lives, we have trouble trusting God because of that struggle. So Abraham and Sarah are looking at the struggle and the trouble that they're having with infertility and saying, God, are you sure? I thought you said this was going to happen, but time is passing and we're still struggling here. God shows up and, 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 and they have this conversation. Abraham's bemoaning. He's kicking it out back of his tent saying, Oh, sovereign Lord, what's good all, is all the stuff that you've given me and all this, this stuff that I have and these servants and this wealth and this influence. What, what good is all of this if I still don't have the kid that you promised me? And we see the doubt in Abraham's eyes. God, though, says, look, look, Abraham, I, I, I hear you. I know it hasn't happened yet, but come on. Come with me for a second. Step outside the tent. I want you to look at the stars. I, I need you to trust me. I need you to believe me that although you're struggling right now, although you are faced with this challenge and this difficulty, and it seems insurmountable, and that you've been dealing with it for a long time, I feel you. I feel your pain, but my promise is good. I'm going to deliver don't you worry. A baby is coming, and after that child and through that child, you're going to have more descendants than there are stars in the sky, Abraham. It's coming. It's coming. So be patient in affliction. Walk through the struggle and the trial and know that I am with you, and I will deliver on my promise. Abraham is once more filled with faith, says, okay, all right. God, you showed up again. You reiterated. You made your promise before. You showed up. You confirmed your promise here. I'm back on track. So him and Sarah start living again. They start doing the thing again, and time passes. More time passes. They're getting older and older. And they decide, you know what? Maybe, maybe we, we heard God wrong. Maybe, maybe we misunderstood what he was saying. Maybe, maybe he meant that we ourselves could intervene in a way to ensure that this happens. Maybe we should take matters into our own hands. I mean, it may, maybe what God really meant is that we need to come up with our own solution to the problem and that he'll use it. 
And so they sit down, Sarah and Abraham, and because the struggle is still there and they start to doubt what God had promised, they decide to take matters into their own hands. And so Abraham and Sarah come up with the plan that Abraham is going to sleep with Sarah's maid, have a child, and that Sarah will raise that child as her own. This is Ishmael. Have you ever heard of Ishmael in the Old Testament? It's the child that Abraham has with Hagar. And so Abraham and Sarah take matters into their own hands. God looks at this and says, guys, this wasn't the plan. This is what I told you. I told you once. I told you twice that I'd deliver. I need you to trust me on this. So he shows up to Abraham again. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I told you before, I made a promise, I made a covenant to you. This is the covenant. Let me remind you of it again, that I am faithful and true to this. I will make you the father of many nations, and it's not going to happen through Ishmael. It's going to happen through you and Sarah. I made that promise, and I am faithful to that promise. So God shows up and reiterates the promise again. Are you getting a rhythm here? you getting a vibe yet? If, if it isn't clear to you yet, let me help you tease it out a bit. God shows up in people's lives who are struggling and begins to speak into their lives promise and hope. He breaks through the struggle and says, look, I got plans, I got intentions, I'm working in your life. But because we continue often with the struggles, we begin to doubt what God said. So God shows up again. God shows up again and says, no, 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 I'm still here. I'm still working. Don't you worry. It's going to happen. And then we doubt again. And he comes back again. And we doubt again. And he comes back again. Over and over and over. I mean, things get so bad, so, so overtly difficult for Abraham and Sarah, these great pillars of faith, that in the course of the conversation between God and Abraham, when God says, I'm going to make you a father of nations, I've told you before, I'm telling you again, Abraham's response, well, maybe something's wrong with Sarah. Maybe she's the problem. Okay, married people, take note. You ever do this? When you're frustrated with a struggle, you start blaming your spouse? That's what Abraham does. Maybe Sarah's the issue. How can Sarah have a baby? She's 90 years old. I mean, ooh, that biological clock is well and gone and over. That alarm went off a long time ago. That ain't happening. And God says, Abraham, Sarah, your wife will give birth to a son for you. How can I spell this out for you that much more clear? And just, ladies, so that you don't go jabbing your own Abraham sitting next to you in the ribs, Sarah has trouble with this too. Sarah, there's a point in the story where she goes, how can a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? Especially when my master, my husband, is also so old. A.K.A. them blue pills weren't around back then. You feel me? Seriously, that's what she's doing. She's saying, he's the problem. He's saying, she's the problem. And they're both saying, the other person is the issue. And they're losing sight that God himself has intervened and spoken to them a promise of his faithfulness. They're so consumed with pointing out the struggle, they have trouble trusting God. 
So God gets that much more explicit. He says, Sarah, I had to be explicit with Abraham. Don't worry, I'll be explicit with you. Look, here's the deal. A year from now, I'll put a clock on this. A year from now, I'm going to come back. I'm going to show up. You will hold a little blue bundle in your arms, all right? You'll be out of the hospital. You'll be home. You'll be on your whole sleepless nights thing. I promise you, a year from now, you'll have a child. Now, if you do your math there, that means the next three months get busy. You got a three-month window, okay? Now, in these three months, Abraham and Sarah, these pillars of faith, these heroes of the Old Testament, this messy marriage manages to get it even more messy. There's a neighboring king in the area. His name's Abimelech. King Abimelech is stronger, more powerful. Abraham's nervous. So what does he do to make this king happy? He passes his wife off as his sister. Some tells me that ain't right. You ain't getting no brownie points there. Passes her off as his sister, gives her to the king so that she will join the king's harem. A.K.A. you go into the harem, the king has the rights to sleep with you. Now, God just made a promise that in the next three months she's going to conceive. They turn around and do this. Abraham introduced his wife Sarah by saying, She's my sister, King Abimelech of Gerar sent for Sarah had her brought into his palace, nice way of saying into his harem. Fortunately, God himself once again intervenes, shows up. God came to Abimelech in a dream and said, You're a dead man if you touch her. Stay away. She is a married woman. And it takes God to once again intervene to make sure that his promise will remain true and good. Lo and behold, a year passes. The Lord kept his word, did exactly what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant. She gave birth to a son. This happened, I love this last line, this happened at just the right time, just the time God had said that it would. Where does this leave us? What can we learn from this? How does this inspire us? How does a messy marriage where over and over and over again, Abraham and Sarah allow their struggle to overshadow God's own faithfulness? What do we do with that? Here's the bottom line. Here's what we do with it. You need to know that the struggles you experience in your life will make it hard for you to trust God. You already know that. That's not profound. Nothing special about that statement. But it is true. That the struggles and the challenges and the trials that you experience and that you go through will make trusting God difficult. And for those of you who are married, those of you who are thinking about getting married, those of you who anticipate getting married, listen, there will be times in your marriage 
where both of you will struggle to trust God. There will be times in your marriage where one of you or the other of you will struggle to trust God because of the size and the scope and the oppression of the hurt and the pain and struggle that you are dealing with. Because struggles make trusting God difficult. In that moment, though, is the opportunity for the gospel, for the good news, for the good news that although we struggle to be faithful to God, God is always, always, always faithful to you. Even though you might be struggling, you might have troubles, you might really start not trusting God, God will continue to show up in your life and work for his will and his purposes out of love for you. See, the good news is that although we sometimes are unfaithful like Abraham and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah's story teaches us that God remains faithful. God is and will be faithfully yours. He faithfully will follow through on his promises to you. He has promised to forgive you. He has promised to be there for you. He has promised to walk with you in the midst of the struggle. He has promised to to encourage you and strengthen you when you feel like you've got no strength left. He has promised to hold your tears in his hands. He has promised to provide for you. He has promised to work in your life. He has promised eternal life for you. Through the person of Jesus Christ, He proves himself faithful to you and your life. Thanks be to God. The joy then, the opportunity then for those of us who are married is to remind your spouse that God is faithful. There are going to be times when your spouse is really struggling And you have the opportunity to speak into their life. Not to fix the situation. But to remind them, hey, God is good. God's walking with us in this. God is here for us in this. God will deliver on his promises for our family. For those of you who are married, you get to speak into your spouse's life God's faithfulness. And that will bring hope and strength to your marriage. You you can do this for people outside of marriage. You got kids? Speak God's faithfulness into their life. They're having a hard time with school, they're struggling with grades, they're struggling with friends. 
speak into their lives God's love, God's faithfulness, God's promises. You got that friend, you got that coworker, you got that person that you know, that you've connected with, that you got a relationship with, and you know they're struggling, you know they're going through a hard time. You, you can speak into their life that there is a God who loves them and is working for their good in this world. And he will remain faithful even as they struggle. Abraham and Sarah, this biblical marriage is not about their faithfulness, but about God's faithfulness and about them learning to lean more and more deeper and more consistently to be reminded over and over again of that faithfulness and learn how to speak it into each other's lives. At the end of Abraham and Sarah's story, there's a significant moment where they now have the child. His name's Isaac. And God asks something of Abraham that seems incomprehensible, bizarre. He says, I'm going to see how much you really trust me, Abraham. I want you to offer Isaac to me as a sacrifice, a burnt offering. And Abraham takes Isaac. And the question is, will Abraham be faithful? Will God be faithful? I can't imagine what it must have been like for Abraham to walk up to Sarah and say, God spoke to me. But he's been faithful in the past. He will be faithful even now. He gave us Isaac. He's not going to take him away from us. We have to trust him. Or for Sarah to have the courage to tell Abraham, Abraham, We've doubted too long and too many times before. We will not doubt God in this. He will be faithful, Abraham. He gave us Isaac. Go in the confidence and security, the faithfulness that God will be faithful now too, and he will provide another way out. Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain, and before he kills his own son. God intervenes again. Says Abraham, I'm proud of you. But I said it before and I say it again. This child, Isaac, is the child that I promised you, and I will not take him away from you. He will be a blessing into this entire world. There's another way. Here's a goat. Offer that to me instead. So, God proves faithful always. You who are married, remind your spouse of God's faithfulness. Amen, good? Let's go and close with a word of prayer. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you as we are.
recognizing our messiness and our brokenness. We confess to you that too often we doubt you and your promises. We struggle with things like infertility. We struggle with things like self-doubt. We struggle with things like self-harm, addictions, depression. We bear hurts and pains and struggles in our lives, God, and too often they are so overwhelming that we cannot seem to trust you. Forgive us. We look in the midst of our struggle to learn from Abraham and Sarah and recognize that through their story, you remained faithful. You remained good. You deliver on your promises. Even in the midst of our struggle, you are secure and good and gracious. And so, Lord, inspire us to remind others around us, our spouses, our kids, our friends, our coworkers, of your faithfulness, that they might be drawn that much closer to knowing and experiencing the grace and the love that is found in you. We ask this, Jesus. We pray this in your name, trusting in Jesus Christ. Amen.